0: All right, well, good morning, Eastern Hills. My name's Rob, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. Uh, This is your first Sunday hanging with us. We're glad that you're here. Uh, The past few weeks, we've gotten to hear from our teaching team, and I want to say, you know, I'm grateful for each of them and the gifts that God's given them. Could we just take a moment to say thanks uh, for them and serving our church the past few weeks? Now, we've entitled this series uh, Summer Mixtape because before there were playlists, there were mixtapes. You would put together collections of songs that were maybe meaningful to you. And so uh, throughout this summer, we've put together our own mixtape of messages that God placed on our pastoral staff's heart uh, to share with you all. Now, when it comes to music, you know, before um, I was a follower of Jesus, growing up in uh, the 90s, I didn't have anybody at home that introduced me the likes of Amy Grant or Michael W. Smith, you know, our God is an awesome God, he reigns, so I was actually left to my own vices and the genre of music that I listened to in my high school years was hip-hop in fact um, it was fun fact my sound system probably costs more than the car itself in high school because the goal my senior year as we exited the school parking lot was to try to rattle as many windows on the school building as possible but if I were to make a mixtape if I were to go back to uh, 1990 uh, again didn't grow up in a house where people were following Jesus but we We would go to this place called AmVets. It's a pizza place on Friday nights, and there was a jukebox. And so my my parents would give us quarters, and I would go to the dance floor, and I would put in a quarter, and I would play Hammer Time by, you know, you can't touch this, MC Hammer. But I would also uh, play the likes of uh, Vanilla Ice as well and Ice Ice Baby. Right here, if you go back in time. This was an error. Let's not repeat this ever again. Uh, Thank you that that has come and gone. But he was actually sued for plagiarizing this song right here. If you remember this song, it was samples of the the band Queen uh, under pressure. And so David Bowie and Queen got together, and they sued the great Vanilla Ice for claiming something to be true and original, and it was not. It's a problem today, and it was a problem in the early church, specifically when it came to the gospel. There were those that were claiming something to be true, original, but in fact, it was not. So today, my simple goal is to help us better understand the gospel by unpacking what the gospel is not. And to do so, we're going to go to the New Testament book, Galatians chapter 1, uh, looking at verses 6 through Nine. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there now, or you can fire up the Bible app on your smartphone. All right. So Paul writes, he says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. As we've already said, so now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than the one you accepted, let them be under God's curse. I wanna invite you to join me in prayer before we study God's word. Lord, we're grateful. For your word and truth, we do believe that it's alive, it's living, it's active. It's the thing that shapes us and makes us more like your son, Jesus. So this morning, help my words to be clear so that you can be glorified. And would you challenge us in our hearts and our soul and our minds to consider what our steps are to follow after you. And we pray pray these things in the power of your son, Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to start right in at verse 6. So Paul says that he is astonished. He says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live the grace of Christ. Now, unlike Paul's other letters, if you go through the New Testament and you read some of the letters by the Apostle Paul, you'll see that his greetings change. And for the most part, they're positive, a prayer, a personal note, or praise, or, or thanksgiving. But this one, Paul comes out of the gate reminding his audience of who he is. Allow me to reintroduce myself. Let me be reacquainted with you. And he comes out rather hot. You can tell that the tone in Paul's writings is different in this letter compared to the other ones. And so, if you've ever been a part of a group text thread before, where maybe there's exclamation points and emojis, and all of a sudden, all of that goes away, and it's like, hmm, the tone of this conversation has changed. And so it is with this letter from Paul to the Galatian church. And so he says that he's astonished that they're so quickly deserting. So timeline-wise, it's halfway through the first century, and this is the early stages of the apostles' ministry. So you would think, hey, maybe some time would go by before distortion of the gospel would settle in. Not so. So a group Offenders, Judaizers, they come in, they believe in the same Jesus, that Jesus is Savior, but they also believed that to follow after Jesus, you needed to be circumcised literally and physically. These are not the guys that you want running the baptism class on a Sunday morning. Just gonna let that sit for a moment. But beyond circumcision, it was also Mosaic Sabbath, it was rites. It was rituals, all of that plus the grace and mercy of Jesus. So they're quickly deserting the one who had called them to live in this grace and are turning to this different gospel, which Paul highlights is no gospel at all. It's a different gospel, one of another kind, which is no gospel at all. So Paul's astonishment is not connected to the fact that we have an enemy, an adversary, that literally seeks to devour and divide the church, to get Christian upon Christian, like tearing each other to threads, thread, shooting themselves in the foot. Like, that's a possibility. That's a reality that we face in following after Jesus. But in this case, what Paul's so fired up about is that someone would grab hold of something that is not true and claim it to be true. So, Paul says, evidently, Some people, today's one of those fun clicker days, so you guys are in for an adventure. All right. (laughs) Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Well, who are these some people? Well, again, it's the group known as the Judaizers, but to be clear, they're coming from the church in Jerusalem. So James, the brother of Jesus, is the head of the church at the time. Uh, he's you know following the way of Jesus. He has an authority as a follower of Jesus, as one who has been set apart for the purposes of spreading and helping other people know who Jesus is. And so they come with the right credentials. The Galatians are like, hey, come right in. Growing up when I would watch movies, I discovered that if you ever like want to break into somebody's house, just dress up like the cable guy, because apparently if you're the cable guy and you show up to someone's house, they'll welcome anybody in. Just it's a safe place to be. And so these guys show up with the right credentials but the wrong gospel. Like oh yeah, we're from Jerusalem. Like we're we're on the same team. Quick sidebar. When it comes to leadership in the church, qualifications matter. So in the sports world, we elect captains and then we put this clever little C on a jersey and we say, "Hey, this is a person of influence." They've been elected by the team. They're set apart. Follow them. Do what they do. So, in the church world, we have elders. They're set apart. Follow them. They they submit to the authority of God's word. There's some specific qualifications. But it's not just elders, it's leaders. Those that say, I lead a small group. Qualifications matter. Those that teach a class and say, I'm going to teach the authority of God's word, qualifications matter. Those that serve on staff, qualifications matter. Those that have the title of pastor, qualifications matter because the moment that leadership goes astray, a church implodes. And that's why Paul was fired up. The church has embraced a different gospel, and it's causing confusion. Paul says. Some people are in confusion. But if you have maybe the ESV translation or the New American Standard Bible translation or you're a King James person, the word is not confusion. It's troubled or disturbed. And that verb there means to agitate, to stir up. It's the same word that's used to describe King Herod's state of mind when he finds out that a king has been born in Bethlehem. And it's the same word to describe the state of the disciples when they think they've seen a ghost in Galilee. disturbed. And so for Paul, it's not this concern that they're going to lose their salvation. It's not the it's the issue of their sanctification. That now, this lens in which they see life would be cracked. Because the gospel isn't just this get out of hell free card. It's not this card that you wake up, you know, you, you should go up to the gates and say, it's all right, I'm with Jesus, and then we get in. No, the gospel is something that we preach to ourselves each and every day. The gospel applies to your marriage. The gospel applies to parenting. The gospel applies to when you show up to work. The gospel applies to uh, broken relationships in your life. It's the lens in which we experience God and one another and his creation. And the moment that that lens is cracked, well, to use Paul's words, it's disturbing. So Paul gets sarcastic. He says, but even if we, being the apostles, or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. Now, he's not saying that he would preach a false gospel, and he's not saying that an angel would show up and preach a false gospel. He's using sarcasm in the same way that we say, you know, someday when pigs fly. It's that type of conversation. But he's saying, let's just suppose hypothetically it did happen they too would be under God's curse. And he repeats himself. And in scripture, anytime a writer repeats himself, it's a cue, pay attention. As we have already said, now I say again, if anybody is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. And this is probably some of the strongest language that Paul uses in his writings. I know this is sensitive when I say it this way, but it's probably the closest way to describe his bluntness He's saying, let them be damned. Let them be damned. That's the consequence for those that might preach a false gospel, according to Paul. So I'm I'm reading this this week, and it's literally in my job description to preach the gospel. And so there's some weight that comes from reading this. Like the pressure to come up to communicate clearly and confidently in the power of the gospel and to get it right so that people have the lens in which they see God and Jesus and they move forward following after him because to get it wrong is to cause a church to implode. But it's not just me, it's also you. That you are an ambassador of Jesus, that you are called and set apart to preach the gospel, to take the good news to all nations. So it's just as important for you to be clear in being able to articulate what the gospel is and what the gospel is not. I mean to think, if you leave here today and you're at the gas station and someone were to ask you, tell me about the hope that you have in Jesus, are you prepared to respond? Do you feel equipped? Help me understand the gospel of Jesus. Would you be able to lead them through a conversation? And are you confident that you would be clear and that it's the one true gospel? I don't want to get it wrong. I don't want you to get it wrong. So I want to give you some guardrails today to guard against that. So here are four things to look out for. Number one, anytime an author, a speaker, a writer, a pastor, a leader, anybody that's preaching the word of God, anytime they add to the Bible, that's no longer the gospel. Anytime they subtract from the message of Jesus and who Christ is. Anytime the message that's being taught or shared divides loyalty to Jesus. And anytime there's an emphasis on the multiplication of works, this is no longer the gospel. This is what we would call Gospel-ish, kind of sorta, but not really. It's like, I'm gonna be there on seven o'clock-ish, or that's a blue-ish. Nope, doesn't work that way with the gospel. It either is the gospel or it is not the gospel. How many of you grew up going to Sunday school and youth group with hand motions? Remember you'd learned songs? There was a lot more hands up first service. Let's do me a favor, just put up both hands. Just wanna make sure that you got a pulse, we're breathing, all right, good. All right, here we go, second service. We're going to do some hand motions, because believe it or not, those motions that we would sing in those songs, that helped us internalize the message that we were singing. And so today, I've got some hand motions that I want us to internalize so that when you're sitting at the stop sign or you're in traffic around town, you can stop and remember, what was he talking about? Gospel-ish, and I don't want to embrace a false gospel. You can do these simple hand motions, all right? So, adds to the Bible is this, just a plus sign. Any time we add to the Bible, not the gospel, all right? Any time we subtract from Jesus, there we go, subtract. Any time we divide loyalties, some of you are too prideful to do this right now. We'll talk after church. It'll be all right. Gospel-ish. Uh, multiplies works just like this. Good. So your turn. Let's see if you caught on. Adds to the Bible. You got it. Subtracts from Jesus. You got it. Divides loyalties. You got it, multiplies works? That's right. Anytime we embrace teaching, writing, scripture, if we're listening to a sermon on YouTube, and they go down this path, it's no longer the gospel, it's gospel-ish. So here are some common examples that we see in the church today. The first one's the positivity gospel, that your words are powerful. And then if you want to overcome your negative world or your negative circumstances, then you just need to speak positivity in your life. And the more positive you are about the potential of what could be, the more that you can have control over your circumstances. The problem with this gospel is that it assumes that you're in the ability to make your circumstances both good or bad, so that if you're experiencing life in a negative way and your life isn't where you'd like it to be, then you're at fault because you haven't spoken positivity into your life. That's a false gospel. I know that no amount of positive thinking is going to move the Red Sox in the first place in the AL East. It's just not going to happen. And if I say, I think I can, I think I can, the fro I had in my early 20s, it's not coming back. At the same time, positive thinking is not going to heal your marriage. Positive thinking is not going to help you raise your children positivity is not going to help you reconcile those relationships that are dysfunctional in your life all the positivity gospel is is a cheap substitute for the true gospel and what the gospel provides and that is You see, the message that Paul preached, the gospel that he preached to the church and the Galatian churches would have been the same gospel he would have preached to the Corinthian church, and Paul so clearly spells it out in his letter to the church of Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 when he says this. Here we go, Tyler. Help me out. I need an assist. There we go. Now, back up. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you which you received and on which you have taken your stand, notice this, by this gospel you are what? What's this word here? Saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. So even in the Corinthian church, there was some ish. And so Paul clears out, he says, listen, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that first of all, Christ died for our sins. That the reality is, is that God's standard is holy, holiness and righteousness, and that every single human that walks the earth, besides Christ who came as man, we fall short of that standard. And so the only way to reconcile this relationship that is broken because of sin is for the Messiah to come, for Christ to come, for him to be buried and raised from the dead. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. And if you're here today and you're a skeptic, and you're thinking, I would expect a pastor to say all of those things. My invitation for you is to lean into what he says next. Because it's just as important. It says this. And that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. In today's day and age, anytime something significant happens, what do people do? They get out their phone. Little selfie shot. Jesus is risen. It would be all over social media. This would be a big deal. And Paul says, and if you don't believe me, go and talk to the people that saw it happen because they're still breathing, some of them. Then he appeared to James. What would it take the brother of Jesus to believe that he was God? Well, the resurrection. Then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to Paul because for Paul was Paul, he was Saul, and he was a murderer of Christians. What did it take him to be redirected? the resurrection of Jesus. You see, evidence for hope is the empty tomb. So where the positivity gospel says victory is coming, the gospel of Jesus says victory is already here because the grave is empty and he is risen. He is risen indeed. Here's the second false gospel in our culture today. It's sneaky. Perception is greater than precision. Perception is how we perceive things to be true. It's based on our feelings, it's based on our circumstances, maybe based on our background or education or upbringing. This lie says that how I'm experiencing reality is greater than what reality is. Our feelings and how God was wired us emotionally incredibly important. They serve as an alarm. Pay attention to this. But precision, facts, truth, just as important. More and more, the true north for people and how they not only experience life, but how they experience God and Jesus is perception. This is how I perceive God to be. Rather than doing the hard work and also aiming for precision, truth, facts, history. If we're only about our feelings, then we'll lead, when we're all only about our feelings, that'll lead to instability in our life. And if all we're out about is facts and truth, that'll lead to stoicism in our life. But the gospel embraces both feelings and facts. Here's a common outline for how someone might explain the gospel. There's creation, that in all things, God has brought into existence through his son, Jesus. That we live and breathe another day because Jesus says yes. And that everything that God created was good. And he gave some specific commands to rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living thing that moves along the ground to fill the earth and subdue it. Tremendous freedom, but there was a commandment. One simple command, a command that gave them the guardrails to experience freedom. And man said, I would rather be God than trust God. And sin entered the picture. And that sin destroyed relationship with humanity's creator and creation. And so all the Old Testament now points to the arrival of the Messiah, one who would bring redemption, as Paul said, that he too would have to be killed, put to death, and risen from the dead so that every person that would place their faith in Christ would become new creations, transformed from the inside out. Those are the facts. But it's also true that God entered into the pain of humanity. It's also true that when you lose someone you love, he is grieving with you. It's also true when you look at the brokenness of this world, And there's this righteous anger and you're mad and upset that creation is so distorted and people are so far from God that it breaks your heart that he recognizes that as well. And it's also true on those days when you're celebrating that life that has come into the world and the the life change of someone coming to know you. He's celebrating that as well. And so here's how this plays out. In those moments when you experience trauma and pain and your heart is telling you that God is absent and distant, the gospel is reminding you that he is ever-present. That he is with us always. And so the gospel says, bring your doubts, bring your insecurities, bring your perception through the lens of precision, and remind yourself who he is and his promises, and that they are good and they prove true every single time. Here's another false gospel. It's the last one we'll talk about this morning, and it's this, the privileged gospel. And as a millennial, this is the one I struggle with the most. Because I was raised that I deserve the trophy, no matter if I won the game or lost the game. It's mine. But I've also been raised under a mindset of that if I do all of these things, then I should get whatever's over here. See, the privilege gospel is when we start focusing on everything that we have not and that God has not provided instead of the things that God has provided. The privilege gospel settles in that in moments of prayer, we can't even focus on praising God and who he is because we're so focused on that thing in our life that we don't have that we feel that we deserve, that we've earned it. You see, James reminds us of one of the truths of the gospel. That same James that was leading the Jerusalem church reminded us of this in James chapter 1. Tyler, give me an assist, brother. There we go. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all He created see the problem is not the presence of good gifts in your life the problem is the absence of gratitude you cannot be privileged and grateful at the same time and so here's how I've seen this false gospel play out in my life and I hope this helps you God I'm doing everything you've told me to do i followed your call. I'm preaching the word. I'm in the word. I'm fasting. I'm giving sacrificially. I've got relationships with people that know Jesus. I've got relationships with people that don't know Jesus. I've checked off all of the boxes. Help me to see why this isn't different. In fact, I demand that it's different. Because I deserve it sounds like, hey, God, I'm I'm following you. I've done everything right. Why am I still single? Why is my marriage still on the rocks? Why have we not been able to have children? Why am I still sick? I've checked all the boxes. I'm knocking, I'm seeking, I'm asking, and it's not being delivered. That's the entitlement gospel. See, the gospel is that the wages of sin is death. And the moment that we embrace embraced the entitlement gospel, we come to God like he's a boss. And we're about our wages. Where's my check? I've done everything. But the gospel says the wages of sin is death, but the gift, the hope that we have, the gift that God has given us is eternal life. That is the perfect and good gift. So the gospel says that we all deserve less than we have. But in Christ, we have more than we could ever dream, hope, or imagine. And so as a church this year, what we've done is we've adopted something called the New City Catechism. So if you're new with us and you're thinking, why are they using this word catechism? This is kind of old school. Well, for years, the early church would use catechisms to help people understand theology. And you would memorize, you know, before we had playlists and mixtapes that helped you learn things. I mean, that's why we should sing songs of worship, because they help us internalize truths about who God is. But there was catechisms. And you would recite these to help your thinking be, alignment, be in alignment with God. And so the New City Catechism is similar. There's a question, there's an answer, there's a scripture, and a prayer. And this week's catechism ties in with what we're talking about. Because the question in this week's catechism is this, what? The suspense is killing everybody. Tyler, help us out. What is faith in Christ? Faith in Jesus Christ is acknowledging the truth of everything that God has revealed in his word. Trusting in him and also receiving and resting on him alone. For salvation as he is offered to us in the gospel and in that same letter where Paul came hot and was worried about a false gospel just in a couple of verses later in chapter 2 Paul reminded his audience and his readers of how significant the gospel is and what it starts to look like when we've truly embraced the true gospel he says I've been crucified with Christ and it is no longer I who live but Christ lives in me And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. And so if you're here today and you're still wrestling with where you're at with Jesus, we're glad that you're here. But if the Spirit is moving in your life, where you're ready to turn and transfer your allegiance to King Jesus, I would ask that you would do that now. That you would not go another day without knowing your savior. Oftentimes in a church service like this, a pastor might lead you through a prayer. I think it's important to understand that the prayer in itself does not save you. Faith in Christ alone is what saves us. But we do it as a response. We do it as an act of worship, as a declaration saying, I'm following him. And so the prayer in this week's catechism is something that we can all pray, whether you've been following Jesus for a few seconds or for a few years. My invitation is that we would pray it together. Author of our faith, we believe that you are who you say you are. Your word is truth and it reveals you as our only hope of salvation. We believe your promises. Walking by faith, not by sight. Amen. Man. <laughs> if God's work was dependent upon our response in that prayer, I'd be concerned. But God will accomplish his work with or without us. The truth is, is will we respond to his leading and trust him and following him wherever he leads? So I've asked the band to lead us in. One last song today. And it's a song that's popular on Christian radio right now. It's called Run to the Father. And there's some words in that song that say we run to the Father, but the Father is described as a surgeon. The song is my heart needs a surgeon, my soul needs a friend. And so this morning, my invitation to all of us is that we would turn to him as both as a surgeon and as a friend because he is loving he is kind he is patient he is gentle but he also cares about truth and transformation and the sin in our lives that he wants us to deal with and so there's some questions and we're going to give you two minutes to quietly pray and reflect on these questions and if if you've uh, not heard of this book or read this book before and you're looking for a tool to sharpen up on gospel and what it is and what it is not, this book's called Gospel Fluency. It will help you walk through maybe some false gospels in your life, but also how you might walk through a conversation with someone that doesn't know the gospel. And so here are the questions I'd like us to think about today. As it relates to creation, All of us look at creation and say, you know, why is there something instead of nothing? And so when it comes to you personally, where do you find your identity or sense of purpose? Is it in your career, your achievements, who you are as a mom or a dad, a husband, a wife, your profession, or is it in Jesus? When it comes to your frustrations, when your head hits the pillow at the end of the day and you're mad and you're angry at the brokenness in the world and you're, you're having a, what I would call a Habakkuk moment and you're crying out, God, why, how, much, how much longer? Why do you continue to forsake me? What's the fundamental problem when it comes to the brokenness of the world? Who or what would you blame? And when it comes to redemption, Whom or what am I looking to as my savior to rescue me? Is it substance? Is it just one more drink? Is it just one more pill? Is it just one more like? One more post? Are you crying out for attention? Notice me, see me. Is it one more relationship? Is it one more spouse? Where are you turning to? And when it comes to true transformation, what is it for you? Principles, philosophy, the latest book, the latest best self help book that the times has to offer and, or is it Jesus? And as you turn to him, is that transformation just a one and done deal? Like I I prayed the prayer, I rose my hand in church, I came to the altar, I've done my business. Or do you see transformation as something that God leads you to each and every day? Is the gospel something that you're preaching to? Jesus, I need you this day. I need you this minute. I need you this second because I can't do this without you. And if you're saying, I got this in fifth grade, I'm good with Jesus. Well, praise God for that. But for the rest of us that still have ish in our life that we're dealing with, For the rest of us that are honest about the false gospels that we've embraced, would you turn to God as a surgeon? Would you turn to him as a friend and lift those things up to him at this time? Would you turn, would you repent and would you trust in him? Let's do that now.